So I want you to come with me this morning, please, to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5. <coughs> 2 Samuel 5. And we'll read a few verses from verse uh, 17 uh, down to the verse 25 to the end. So 2 Samuel chapter 5. And reading from verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The stronghold may have been the cave of Adullam, or it may have been some other fortification place. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. And so David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again, this is about a year later, and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up, circle around it behind them, and come up upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. But particularly verse 20. So David went to Baal-perazim and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim, which means the God of the breakthrough. The God of the breakthrough. There comes a time in everyone's life when you need a breakthrough. There are times when maintaining the status quo will no longer do. Something's got to give. The same old, same old will not cut it anymore. There are times when a clear-cut, decisive victory, breakthrough, is the only option. Amen. David was facing the Philistines in the Valley of the Giants, because that's what Rephaim means, the Valley of the Giants. And for him, the moment had come. He'd either be a victim or a victor. He'd either be a captive or he'd be a conqueror. He'd either know defeat or he would experience a mighty deliverance. Many of you this past year or so knows what it's like to be in the valley of the giants. You've been facing tremendous difficulties. You've been up against it. Stuff has happened. Hadn't planned for it. Never dreamed it would happen. But it's happened. And you need a breakthrough. You need a victory. We need breakthroughs in health and healing. 
We need breakthroughs in finances and family. We need breakthroughs spiritually, physically, practically. We need breakthroughs individually, and we need breakthroughs corporately as a body of people, as a church. We need desperately breakthroughs. Now, the Philistines had heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel. And so he was coming into his destiny. God was fulfilling his plans and purposes for his life. And so at that point, the Philistines came in quickly before he would get established, before he could become strong. And they wanted to destroy him. And that's what the enemy of our souls wants to do to us. Whenever he sees God's designs and plans for lives coming to fruition, whenever he sees us beginning to come into our destiny that God's got for us, he will always try to circumvent God's plans for your life. You can count on it. You can be sure of it. That's what he's about. That's what he tries to do. And so here is David in the valley of the giants, and he really needs a victory. He desperately needs a a breakthrough. Nothing less is going to do. But how will it come? Will it come? And if it does, what was going to take for the breakthrough to happen? I want you to notice something in verse 19. In verse 19 it says, He inquired of the Lord. He sought the Lord First, he didn't assume anything. He assumed neither victory nor defeat. The first thing he did was he sought the Lord. He went to prayer. Now, over these past several weeks, this is just not something I felt this week, but over these past several weeks, I have felt exercised by the Lord regarding this subject of breakthroughs. And I have been considering and I have been concerned about our lack of them, both individually and corporately. We are not seeing the breakthroughs that we want to see and that we need, are we? I mean, are you in victory all the time? Are you getting breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough? Because I'm not, and I suspect you're not either. And so I have felt challenged and exercised that something needs to happen. Something needs to change. Something needs to be done. And as I read this passage of 2 Samuel 5, I was drawn to verse 19 because I think this is a major key, both in our lives individually and corporately. I think this is a great key to getting a breakthrough. David, before he went to battle, he inquired of the Lord. Before he ever drew a sword, before he ever pulled a bow, before he ever shot an arrow, the first thing he did was he prayed. Now let's face it, usually that's the last thing we do, isn't it? We try everything else, and when everything else is failed, and usually only when everything else is failed, then we say, i got to pray. David did the opposite, didn't he? Before he did anything, he sought the Lord. He prayed. He wanted to know, was this fight worth fighting? Was this battle worth the bother? 
and haven't taken the time to seek the Lord, and having got the answer in the affirmative, then he boldly took on the Philistines in the valley of the giants. And I think there's a lesson for all of us individually and corporately to learn in this, that before we do anything, before we face any challenge, we got to pray and seek the Lord and say, God, what are you saying about this? What's your heart on this? What's your thought on this? What a breakthrough the Lord gave David. In fact, it was such a mighty breakthrough. He named that place Baal Perazim. From then on, this would be known as this place is the Lord of the breakthrough. And I want, before this year is over in this house, I want to hear testimony after testimony after testimony of people standing up and saying, this is where I met the Lord this year. This is what happened. This is the victory God gave me. This is the breakthrough I've sought. This is the breakthrough that God's given me. That's a testimony that God wants us to have. Amen. A few nights ago, some of you may have been watching. They talked about the tsunami on Boxing Day 2004, just off the coast of Indonesia. You remember how that on that day, how those great tectonic plates erupted underneath the ocean and suddenly a great wave was set in motion. And within an hour, I think it was, that it slammed into Banda Aceh, the way up the northern side of Indonesia. And then it moved on to Thailand. And then finally a thousand miles away it hit Sri Lanka with such devastating power and force. And, and some of the survivors who were there holidaying in these places and who got to a high place, like maybe the top of a hotel or something, they were able to shoot some footage on their camcorders uh, and they showed that. And it was amazing uh, to see the, the sheer volume, the huge waves that came in. I mean, these waves came in up, up to two kilometers inland. And almost everything in their path was just wiped out. I mean, there was cars, there was trucks, there was buses, there was boats, there were ships, there was houses. All of it was just suddenly just washed away. Nothing could stand in its way. Such a mighty wave that just went through the streets. People was clinging on to palm trees and light posts and anything for dear life. And they were still being swept away. One guy, he said he tried to outrun one of the waves and he couldn't. He says as soon as it touched his ankles, he says he was just whoosh, she was gone. One young woman was sucked out to sea. She was miles sucked out into the very ocean on her own. Fortunately for her, some fishermen on the boat picked her up, or otherwise she'd been dead. Her whole family was wiped out. But that wave, that breaking through, it's almost as if this is what David's saying. It was such a mighty victory. It was almost as if God just uh, cut a swath through the Philistines with like a breaking forth of a great flood of water just washed and shot through the Philistines and just wiped them out. What a victory that would be for us. If God would give us such a breakthrough that the enemy would be swept away in that area of our lives. Amen. Now notice how that later on the Philistines regrouped and they came back to attack David. And David again, and this is the key, 
he inquired of the Lord. He could have assumed or presumed even that what God had done before he'll do again. That how he had did it that time he'll do it this way. But he didn't. He inquired of the Lord. He sought the Lord. And what happened? It was a good job that he did. Because the Lord gave him a totally different strategy. He still got a great breakthrough, but he got it a different way. And my point in saying that is this, that God has got different ways to break through in our lives. He's got different strategies for us to handle different situations. There's some are going to need wisdom. There's some are going to need power. There's some are going to need knowledge. There's some are going to need this. Some will be practical. Some will be spiritually. Some will be others. And we need to know what to do. We need to know how to do it to get the breakthrough. Prayer was David's first resort. It wasn't his last. It was his first. Do you remember Joshua? In Joshua chapter 6, do you remember how that they'd come up against this great city, Jericho? And Jericho was a wall city. It was a heavily fortified city. It had mighty ramparts. I mean, you could have drove several chariots across these walls. And so this was the first, when they were coming in to take the promised land, this was the first major big challenge they had. And how that the Lord came to him, he obviously had sought the Lord, and the Lord came to him, and told him exactly what to do. How that the men of war were to march around the city once a day for six days. And, and priests with seven ram's horns were to go before them and blow their horns. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around seven times. And they were to blow the trumpet seven times. And whenever there was a long blast of the trumpets of the ram's horns, then he said, shout. Everybody was to shout. And as they shouted on the seventh day, on the seventh lap around, as they shouted, God caused the walls to fall down. And they went in. And they defeated the city. And they were to burn the city and everything that was in it. That was an accursed thing, God said, to burn it. The only thing was to be saved was the silver and the gold and the, and, the, and the vessels that were to be kept for the Lord. They were to be consecrated unto him. And so they did that and they had a mighty victory in chapter 6. But look at chapter 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Camri, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Avon. Now notice here, no prayer, no seeking the Lord, no looking for direction. He just assumed, he assumed God was with them in this. He assumed because he saw Jericho falling that no matter what, the next battle, it'll be easy. This was the big one. The next one will be easy compared to this. That's what he assumed. And so he sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth, even on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So in the natural, this looked an easy thing. 
It would be done and dusted in a day. Why bother the whole army? Just take a couple of thousand and go up. They'll be, they'll be dead meat before sundown. That's what they were thinking. So about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people. But they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Sherebrim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Wow. Now he's confused. He's deeply troubled. What in the world has happened? Jericho, we took Jericho. It was a major city. Ai, just a handful of people, just a tiny little place. And our armies get chased out of it. What's going on? And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? <laughs> now he's blaming God. Of course, you and I would never do that. Sure we wouldn't. We'd never get upset with God, would we? No, we're far too Christian for that, aren't we? We're too spiritual to be upset with God, aren't we? Hmm. I don't think so. I think times we feel like this. Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back from from before its enemies, from the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? He's having a real rant at God, isn't he? Of course, you never had a rant at God in your life, had you? You understood everything. You were content and happy with everything. Hmm? When trouble came, you just laughed at it and thought, not a problem. No, no. We're exactly the same as what these people were. When things go wrong, we wonder what in the world has happened. And so the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they also have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus saith the Lord God of Israel. There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. And then he gave them instructions on what they were to do and how they were to deal with the issue. And they did deal with the issue. And they dealt with the accursed thing. And they dealt with the one who had taken the Babylonish garment and the wedge of gold and silver and hid them in his tent and brought that defeat to the house of Israel. What's the lesson for us? Sometimes our defeats are of our own making. Sometimes our failures are of our own making. There were things that God did not want them to touch. He did not want them to do. 
In fact, had we read the whole of chapter 6, we would have saw they get clear-cut instructions from Joshua not to touch anything that was accursed. It was to be burned with fire. And one man would not listen. Sin was in the camp, and they could not defeat even little Ai. And so there's a lesson for us too. If there's things in our lives that God doesn't want in our lives, it's going to be hard for us to win the battles. It's going to be hard for us to get breakthroughs. We need to deal with the accursed things. We need to deal with some of the issues. And having dealt with the issues, and if we read chapter, the next chapter, having dealt with the issue, then God did give them a great victory over Ai, and it on to have victory after victory after victory. Amen. Breakthroughs come in different ways, as I said. But all of them, all of them should be preceded by prayer. It was David's first resort, not his last. He inquired of the Lord. He sought the Lord in prayer, and God gave him the answer. And God gave him the victory. Now, the reason why I say that is this. That sometimes prayer on its own is just not enough. Sometimes it's prayer and something else. Let me give you an example of this in Matthew chapter 17. verse 14 of Matthew 17 and when they had come to the multitude a man came to him kneeling down to him and saying Lord of mercy on my son for he is an epileptic and suffers severely now whether this is epilepsy as we know it today or not we're none of us are sure actually the word is moonstruck because in those days many believed that in a full moon there were some people acted strangely under a full moon there's been scientific studies into that, by the way. They're very inconclusive. But that's what the word means, moonstruck. So our translators put the word epilepsy in here because it was to do with seizures. Whether it's what it is today or not, nobody knows. But what we do know from reading this scripture was this child was having uh, seizures. And so, Lord have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? You can almost sense and feel the frustration in the master here. How long shall I be with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, Them because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, And nothing will be impossible to you. But, however, This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. This kind does not go out except by prayer 
and by fasting. So what I'm saying is this. There's going to be some breakthroughs that will only come by prayer added with fasting. That all the prayer in the world is not going to change it unless there's some fasting to be added. And so there's times whenever we're looking a victory and a breakthrough and we're praying and we're praying, we need to stop and say, God, should I be fasting here? Should I be missing some meals here? Should I take a three days or a week or a month or whatever it takes? Should I be doing this? Fasting is almost a lost art in the church. It's almost unheard of today. Now the fact that Jesus was able to do that and the fact that he said this kind can only come through prayer and fasting implies that he was fasting. It implies that he was living a fasted life. So when this happened, he was ready. He didn't have to go to year. I may have to go and say, Lord, I need to fast for a week before this happens. No, he was already fasted. All he had to do was speak that word because he was already in that position. And so there's going to be some times, not always, but sometimes when you're going to have to add fasting to your prayers to see some success. But then in Matthew chapter 8, just back a little bit. In verse 5, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. So he's coming pleading. He's praying. He's desperately praying. He's pleading, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me, under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus, when he heard it, he marveled, said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, no, not even in Israel. Whoa, what a statement. What a statement. All of his disciples were standing there. He couldn't say that about any of his disciples. And he said it about a pagan Roman soldier. Because this Roman soldier understood authority. It was simple to him. It was a no-brainer to him. He, could, he got it. He could see it. I'm a man under authority. I'm a Roman centurion. I've got people under me. i just got to speak the word and they do it. No questions asked. They just do it. Because I've got the authority. Because I have an empire behind me. And he looked at Jesus. And though he couldn't fully understand, but he realized somehow that Jesus had higher power behind him. That there was a kingdom behind him. And that if Jesus would just speak that authority, it would be done. Whatever was in that invisible word would obey him if he just spoke. No wonder Jesus marveled. Not one disciple had ever got that. And they'd been walking with him for all this time. They'd never seen that. But here's this pagan man. And he immediately sensed what was happening. 
So sometimes it's prayer and fasting. And sometimes it's prayer on the authority of the Word of God. And realizing that in Christ, we too have got authority. Jesus says, Behold, I give you power and authority over all the power of the enemy. But for the most part, we don't realize that. For the most part, we don't get it. This man got it. And so there's going to be times when it's just going to be more than prayer. It's going to be fasting. There's going to be times when it's more than prayer. It's going to be standing on the authority of God's Word, believing that when you speak the Word of God, that the kingdom of God is behind you. And when you speak this Word, something will happen. And then, in Hebrews 11 and 6, that lovely verse that we know so well, that we could quote it We'll have a look at it anyway. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Prayer has got to be accompanied by faith. It must please the heart of God immensely whenever you and I operate the faith that he has given us. Think about this for a moment. Think about how you feel when somebody you know trusts you explicitly. When somebody you know believes every word you say. They believe in everything you do. They depend upon you. They count on you. How does that make you feel? Say, David, it's pressure. That puts me under pressure. Well, God's not under pressure. We're under pressure when somebody does that because we feel we may let them down. But God doesn't feel he's going to let anybody down. God's got the ability. And it must please the great heart of God when you and I, as simple children of faith, believe and trust Him and say, God, I believe you, I trust you. Implicitly, explicitly, I trust you. And I believe your word. That does something in the heart of God. It pleases Him. In fact, without that, the writer says, it's impossible to please God. And should it just be a tiny little step of faith? Should it be that mustard seed faith? Should it not be something big and grand and great, but just a little thing? It pleases the heart of God whenever we add faith to our prayers. Over these next few weeks, as individuals, as a church, I want us to be challenged to seek God's face. To pray like we have never prayed before. To say, Lord, I'm going to go before you like I've never went before you before. I'm going to make the time, I'm going to take the time to do this. Individually, as a church, I'm challenged, I'm exercised. I don't pray enough. And I'm standing behind a pulpit. 
And I'll admit, I don't pray enough. You know what? I think when all of us get to heaven, the thing, single biggest regret in all of our lives will be, Lord, when I was on earth, I didn't spend more time with you. I think that would be the biggest single regret. Lord, I wasted so much time and other stuff, and I didn't take time to be alone with you. Why do we struggle so much with prayer? Why? It should be a joy, it should be a delight, it should be a thing that should be so easy and simple, but it isn't. For most people, it isn't. In fact, for most Christians, it can be the weakest part of their Christian walk. Why is that? Why is it it's usually a crisis it takes to put us on our knees? Come on, let's be honest. Isn't it true that we can go along in life, everything's great, and we don't pray very much, and then suddenly we get that phone call. Suddenly that letter comes. And before you know it, you want to pray. You want to get on your knees. You want to seek God because you need an answer. Now I'm not saying this to put us under a guilt trip or to beat us over the head. I'm saying it for me and for you, for us. I'm saying it for all of us. I'm included in this. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching to me too. So why is that? Is it unbelief? Is it simply indiscipline, laziness on our part? Is it our flesh? Is it the world? Is it the devil? What is it? Surely the biggest breakthrough that we need right now is a breakthrough in prayer. If you be totally honest in your heart, it's a breakthrough in prayer. And I think if we get a breakthrough in prayer, we'll find it, we'll get breakthroughs in other areas. Why is it we could spend hours and hours and hours doing something for the kingdom of God, and yet we struggle to spend five minutes before the king? Why is that? Well, I think for all of the above reasons. I think our flesh fights us. I think the world and the devil fights us. I think we get lazy. I think we're indisciplined. I think it's all of those reasons and more. I think that whenever we stand before him and we see the Lord and all of his beauty and all of his splendor and all of his majesty and all of his power, all of his glory, I think we'll stand and wonder why in the world we didn't want to spend time in his presence. So right at the very start of this new year, and over these next few weeks, I'm going to be talking much about prayer and seeking God's face from various scriptures and various examples in the Word of God and other examples. Because this is not a one-off date. If I don't talk about this for a few weeks, listen, it'll just be a message and you'll forget about it before you get to the bottom of those stairs. We've got to do this. And we've got to push this. And we've got to challenge this. And we've got to work with this. And we've got to move with this. We've got to do this. And I think when and if we do this, I think you and I are going to see some breakthroughs that we've never seen before. Simply because we've taken time to stand before the Lord and to seek His face. So I think that this could start, I truly believe that this could start a personal revival in our hearts. Now I don't know about you, but I, I, I need personal revival. Because I'm the same as everybody else. There's times I feel weak and I feel dry and I feel a struggle. So I need it. 
And if I need it, you need it. And if the Lord himself, while he was on earth, if he took every opportunity to go and seek the Father, if he needed that, how much more do we need it? Even his disciples, even Peter, James, and John, the closest people on earth to him, his dearest friends, the ones whom he drew aside at his most vital and crucial moments, when he took them into the garden, when he needed them the most, and he went a little further and he got on his knees and prayed, what happened? They fell asleep. That's his disciples. That's those who walk with him in the flesh every day. They fell asleep when he needed them the most. I'm saying that to show you our humanity. All of us, when it comes to prayer, we can do better, can't we? We can go further. We need to fan the flame again. And so, for the next few weeks, from next Sunday morning, not tonight, but from next Sunday morning, I'm going to focus on this whole thing about prayer and seeking the face of God. And I want to see a change in your life, in my life, in the life of this church. We can have all the programs we want. And thank God for all that we do. We can do all of that. And we're going to plan lots for this year. Thank God. But let me tell you something. Without the engine of prayer, we might as well go out there and throw snowballs. It's not going to change anybody. It's not going to reach anybody. So we need to pray. And we need to seek the Lord. And on Thursday nights as we come together, now some of you, you work, some of you are unable. You can't be out every night. I understand that. But some, you need to come and you need to pray and you need to corporately pray. In every church in this land, the least attended meeting is a prayer meeting. In every church. I don't care how big it is. I don't care if you had 10,000 come to the church. You're not 10,000 come to the prayer meeting. That's just the way that it is. But we need to change some of that thinking. And we need to seek the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Could you not watch with me one hour? What about five minutes? What about 30 minutes? What about one hour? And as we come together, and as we pray, and as we seek the Lord, and the Lord begins to move, let me tell you something, then things will begin to happen. And we'll get some breakthroughs that we desperately need. Things will begin to take place in our lives. Amen. All right. Let's do that. Now, it's quite cold, and some of you are putting your coats on, and 